0: Hello, and welcome to Checking In, a Lodging DEI chat. I am your studio host, Oren Stewart. We have have another, excuse me, great episode in store for you. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss it. Once again, thank you for joining us here at Checking In, our host Leon and Miranda. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. You all have an amazing show today. Thank
1: you.
2: All right. Hey, Orin. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a great conversation. Miranda, how's it going?
1: Awesome. Awesome. Great to be back here to have these conversations with you. How are you?
2: It is. Everything is groovy. What is this? Episode five now, I think. Is that right?
1: I think you're right. And it's just flown by.
2: Yeah, it has. It's been great, great working with you. And I have a big announcement. It's not a big announcement to you, Miranda, because you already know this. You were the second person to know. But folks, You can check us out on podcast platforms now. Wherever you check out and listen to your podcast, you can listen to Checking in a Lodging DEI Chat. New episodes drop every Thursday. So you can check us out here on YouTube or LinkedIn or wherever. But you can also make sure you check us out via your podcast, download it, listen to it while you're in the car and whatever else you want to do. That's pretty cool, huh?
1: That is so cool. And, you know, I was just in South Florida over the weekend and traffic has gotten so bad there. But you know what's a great thing to do when you're stuck in traffic? Listen to our podcast.
2: Oh, I like it. I like (laughs) it. Yes. Listen, listen to the podcast. Yes. So we have a really cool guest with us today. Miranda, go ahead and tell us about about our guest, and then we'll bring him on the screen and we'll talk.
1: Yeah, so I recently had the pleasure of getting to speak in Chicago at the PAVE Prevention Summit with our guest. His name is Nick Matone, and I think that he is just such an interesting, cool person. Um, If you look on his LinkedIn, he describes himself as dad, author, futurist, and hospitality guru. Uh, i've also heard him referred to as the fixer because in his 40 plus year career in uh, the hospitality industry he's been known to just turn things around for some amazing establishments and um i i think we're going to have a great conversation
2: all right great well let's get this conversation started with nick let's bring nick on to the show hey nick how are you doing
3: very well, thanks. Thank you for having me.
2: Right on. Thanks for thanks for being with us. It's it's great to have you on our show. I've been hearing some some really cool cool things about you. So why don't we do this? Tell us about about your background. Now, you've been doing a lot of things for a long time. So don't tell us everything, but kind of give us the highlights of what you've been doing. But most importantly, how'd you get into the hospitality business?
3: So I think uh, I'll start with that first because I think that's apropos to where we go from here. Um, I, I People are usually surprised to hear that I was pre-med at Fordham University uh, at one point in time and uh, loved it, loved science. I did not want to be a doctor, I wanted to go into science, so it's a big love of mine. But uh, I was putting myself through school working in restaurants and bars and catering facilities and you name it and you know, any, any odd job I could do to make money. But I found that I really enjoyed the hospitality industry. And at one point, uh, for a variety of reasons, my brothers and I opened up a pizza and pasta restaurant called American Pie during this time. And uh, at one point, I uh, turned around to my mother, looked her in the eye and said, hey, mom, we're not going to have to pay for medical school. We're going to open a restaurant. And uh, a few days later, after she stopped crying, uh, wished us well, uh, told me that just make, make the best business you can possibly do and take care of people and everything. And I've never looked back. And that was uh, at this point over 45 years ago at this point. And I've just never looked back. So we had that pizza and pasta restaurant called American Pie uh, for about eight years. We had a couple of of, uh, uh, of businesses going at the same time. But, you know, I, I was 21 years old. My older brother was 25. My younger brothers were 20. And uh, we were, a couple of sisters helped out intermittently as well. And we uh, were young, naive, and I'll speak for myself, more interested in flirting with the women who came into the store than, than figuring out how to be profitable and <laughs> learned a lot of hard lessons that way, you know, and we moved on to, uh, you know, bigger and better things thereafter. And I'm still best friends with my brothers. Uh, we're not in business together, but we're, we're still best friends and speak to this day. Yeah. But I went on to a a couple of different uh, avenues. And, uh, you know, again, I won't give you everything. I did some bars and catering and whatnot. But I eventually landed in a fine dining restaurant called the Gotham Bar and Grill. And that sort of changed my direction uh, to focus on a little bit more of the high end, high volume environment. I fell in love with it uh, from Gotham, you know, a couple of steps in between. But I wound up as the managing partner of Gramercy Tavern in New York City. And that was back in 1995 and spent a little over seven years uh, with Gramercy Tavern. And I think most people know me reputationally there. I think we built one of the, I you know, stand on firm ground saying one of the best restaurants in the country, if not one of the best in the world. So I'm very proud of that achievement and I'm very proud of of the core values that we brought there, which I hope we, we get to talk about a little bit later. In 2003, I, I left to start my own uh, management consulting firm, Watone Enterprises. And I've spent the the two decades since at this point uh, helping other businesses um, open, operate or turn around whatever they need. Uh, I have a particular love of the young uh, operator or first time uh, young chef who wants to open their first business and help them go from zero to post opening success. Uh, it's a, just a personal passion of mine. Uh, I, I like being on the ground with people and mentoring them to to get to the next level. But uh, as Miranda alluded alluded to, I, I happen to do very well in the turnaround mindset. And you know, coming in, I'm I'm a little bit more of the unflappable type. So I, you know, I take all the different pieces of a business that's not doing well uh, for whatever reason and help turn it around. And I, I've really enjoyed that over the years. And most notably, I did that. And most recently at the Rainbow Room in New York City, which sits atop 30 Rockefeller Plaza. So an iconic property that was not doing well, came in in 2015 with our team, uh, flipped it to, to do extraordinarily well. And uh, hopefully it'll be there. It's already, I think it's probably celebrating its 95th birthday this year. Right and on. hopefully it'll be there for another 95 years. And yeah. uh, So I, uh, you know, left Tishman, excuse me, uh, Rainbow Room was owned by Tishman Spire in uh 2019, and uh, have been, you know, casually consulting and working on some nonprofits, and yeah. you know, more recently with a, an organization called Pave Prevention is where I met uh, okay. uh, Dr. Miranda, that's and uh, so leads us to this podcast. So yeah, we'll keep it there, and you can ask me any questions you want on, on the on the background. But I, can All right. Right on. Up, but I think that's good. I hope I like it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I've heard you many times talk about culture and core values. Could you share with our listeners um, what you believe to be a positive uh, culture for any organization?
3: Yeah. So uh, there's there's many different ways to approach developing a culture. In, in in a business, right? And, and unfortunately, what often happens is by not thinking about it out loud, not talking about it out loud, not bringing all the stakeholders into play, uh, meaning I as an operator need to engage the frontline staff, whether it's a line cook, a server, a bartender, host, whatever, and all the managers, of course, we need to engage them in that process, right? You don't just uh, let it happen. And unfortunately, uh, and this is part of the negative example, we've seen people who don't work on building a positive culture by default have often created a negative culture, right? They don't understand how to deal with the people and so on. So I come at it from a different angle and we want to create the culture first and we put a lot of effort into that. And so I, I won't get into the, the entire process because I think it, it, that's a probably a show in, in and of itself. Uh, and probably a couple of hour conversation, but in essence, you look at what values are important to you as the business owner, right? And if you ask most people, the first thing they say is profitability, right? We got to be profitable. I get it. But with um, my my former partner and boss, Danny Meyer, who I, I hold in the highest regard possible, we came up with a different philosophy. And if you don't mind, I'll bend your ear on that for a moment we decided that the employees are number one and we put them at the top of the list of core values. And by virtue, you probably heard the expression uh, "the the customer's always right, right? They get the benefit out every time. Right. And that is true, but only up to a point. And we felt that if we invested our time and effort and, and our emotions uh, into our employees, what happens is they do the best job of taking care of the guests they can because they have a better work environment. And I'll go to my grave believing that that's true. And I've tried to instill that in all the businesses that I've consulted to since then. So we start with investing in our employees who then take care of our guests. And along with that, we try to take care of our vendor partners because they're they're the people who provide us the goods and services and whatnot. So we treat them with respect, uh, pay them on time, of course, and do all of that. Uh, But really treat them as as the partners that they are, because then they are talking positively about us and it helps the business and it helps the general community. And I'd say even more importantly, um, we invest in the community that wherever the business is located in. So if I stick with Gramercy Tavern, we had a a great partnership with a number of nonprofits, most notably um, at the time when I was there, it was called Share Our Strength. It's now No Kid Hungry. And it's one of my favorite organizations uh, nationally. So uh, that was one of our missions, right? To take care of pe- uh, children who, who were uh, lacking food and resources to get through the day. So that was important to us and that whatever's important to the business they should invest in. But being part of the local community in the truest, deepest sense of the word is good for the business. And if you take care of those top four, then the profitability generally automatically takes care of itself because you're mm-hmm. always looking at the core values as part of the business model, not mm-hmm. something that inhibits the business model, which too many people do. Yeah. So for me, it's look at culture first and you'll actually create a great business. And and uh, again, go to my grade of believing that. And I think any business that really works that way I could mm-hmm. cite major examples of, of companies with great core values, mm-hmm. like Let Us Entertain You in Chicago is, is one yeah. I hold in my regard, the Units yeah. for Hospitality Group where I came from. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you can pick and choose. I, it, yeah. and there's many out there. Yeah.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that. And Danny Myers, his book, Setting the Table, that is one of my mm-hmm. absolute favorite books. And to any of our listeners, if you haven't read it, go pick it up. It's incredible. I read it probably once a year. <laughs> um it's so- a great- <laughs> Let me ask you, if I may. You and I had a phenomenal conversation when we were in Chicago for the PAVE uh, prevention summit. Um, And I was talking to you about our podcast and the work that Leon and I have been doing the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. We were talking about lack of Black representation, DEI, et cetera. And I shared with you that many of my white hetero male friends feel frustrated right now because they feel that they're trying to do everything right. They're trying to be good allies. Mm -hmm. They're trying to be supportive. Um, but they feel that they're still being demonized simply for existing in the United States as a white male. Yes. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever um, feel that you get put into that place as well?
3: I, I think it, it, the correct answer is yes. I think we all feel that way You know, for those of us who care, right, who want to do the right thing. Um, it, it can often, we, we, you can often feel disappointed because people aren't. Saying, wow, you got, you're doing great. You're really caring. You're doing everything. There's no way to do everything right. There's no way to please every single person. So you want to be recognized for the fact that you are doing everything you possibly can within within your own knowledge base to to do the right thing. And so, what I hope will happen uh, is is that we. Uh, our, my new friend, Julie Harmon out in Chicago is friend I met with uh, Arlene in pay prevention um, has a great quote that I think is apropos to this is we need to normalize mistakes and have a conversation around intent. And I think what happens right now is too many people look at um, the, 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 the honest mistake and then demonize the person for that, and but not looking at the intention. So if the intention is good, then let's work with that person to correct whatever the mistake was, help them learn and grow from that so then they can move to the next step of of fixing whatever's going on. So for me, I'd rather not focus on the mistake that someone has made, whoever that person is, um, but focus on the intentions that they have. So if their intention is to do good or to do the right thing, then let's work with them to fix and correct that mistake or whatever the mishap is, and then move on to the next thing. So I think we need to shift the conversation slightly. And I will also go out and say like, men like me, right, white males in in my industry, the hospitality industry and everywhere, need to stop being as defensive. And and I, I often coach people to listen to understand, not to reply. And it's very hard, and that's why I train leaders, um, and, and I admit, I have times where I don't do that very well, um, but when you listen carefully um, and when you you listen as adeptly as you possibly can to what the person is saying, not just the words, but the meaning behind those words, it makes it a lot easier to then bring the conversation back to how I can help. And that's the, the, probably the third point in fixing this uh, for us white males, if you will is start thinking not about being demonized for what you're doing, just turn around and say, how can I help make this better? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, the onus is now on, on on the two of you, whoever you're engaging with, to come up with a solution as opposed to just uh, just you know getting my feelings hurt or feeling like I can't do anything right and then shifting gears and, and going down the wrong path. So I think you know, really listening, listening carefully to understand, normalize mistakes, focus on and, and have a conversation around intent, and then really ask the deep question, the important question, how can I help? How can I make things better?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, Nick, when you when you talk about the the white male feeling demonized, and particularly when we we talk about it and focus in on that in the in the hospitality business, as a black male growing up in the business, mm-hmm. My supporters were all white men, hmm. right? Now, here's the thing though. Yes. First, I didn't recognize the support they were giving me until way, way, way down the road. Years later, when I look back on it and go, wow, that guy was supporting me. Here's something. First, I think it's important for white men, white ladies too, that when you're doing the right thing, Tell the story. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay to do that. Now that doesn't mean you go on LinkedIn and say, look at this black guy that I made a general manager. No, it's it's not that, right? But it's saying this person started with me and they are a GM now, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to share share that story. The second thing is I think it's important that those that you've mentored, those that you help along the way, mm-hmm. that they not be afraid to say, Nick helped me. That's right. Right. Sometimes folks are afraid to to say that. I think we need to get more of those stories out there. And I'm going to share with the the names of those that that helped me along the way. The first one was Craig Poole. Uh, Craig hired me in my first hotel job. He's now the president of Reading Hospitality, doing some great things in Reading, Pennsylvania at a Doubletree. Michael Harrell, who's deceased now, the former chairman and CEO of Vista Host hotel management just gave me tremendous opportunities. And he even told me, he said, I'm going to put you in positions before you're ready. You're, you're not even going to be ready for them, but I'm going to make sure that you are a success in them. And the That's other fun. person is Mark Zelaznik, who's the vice president of revenue management for that, that same management company. Good. And so I think many black men black ladies recognize that there are those that want to do the good thing and do the right thing so nick here's the 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 question that that i'll ask you please when you roll all of that in together when you know when you see someone that's not doing the right thing or someone that has failed and they they want direction on it how often do white men have the conversation about i want to make it right. I want to help get it right. For folks like you that are doing it right, how often do you counsel, share, encourage others like you to get it right?
3: I would say uh, th- the correct answer is probably not enough, but I think it's fairly often. Um, so for, for me, I have a process of, uh, I'll call it the evaluation process, um, that I would hold managers specifically four times a year. And, and a couple of times it's very formal, it's sit down, it's written, and this is what you've done really well, this is where you need to work on, and, and this is what I hope to see, and these are some of the goals you have. And at other times it's a little bit more casual, but there's four specific times during the course of the year where I will sit down with them to try to burnish, I, I use it, the term burnish what's good, and then work on what needs correction. And so on a formal basis, that's that's probably, you could look at it and say, I need more than that. But there's a lot of informal moments throughout the week, the day, the month, you know, that uh, you need to just pull someone aside and say, Hey, I noticed you talking to so and so. This is what I would do, this is how I would do it better. Yeah. So, to that end, I had developed a process. And this is when I was the owner operator, or in the case of Rainbow Room, the managing director, and so on, where I would have a 15 to 20 minute meeting every single day with the entire leadership team who was available because it's a long, you know, big business and, and you know, some people just have to be on the floor working. And that might include um, a major d' or a host who is ultimately an hourly employee, but who is affecting whatever's going on in that day. But every single day have a, I'll call it a pre-shift meeting with the leadership team to go over what went right or wrong the day before, what we need to accomplish today. And it's not just okay, Dr. Miranda's coming in and, and she likes you know, gin martinis and we need to make sure we have it right, something, something, something. Uh, I'm just making that up. So, <laughs> but, um, but that's one aspect of it. But it's really what happened with our team the day before or the week before that we need to focus on and then we can correct that today. And if you do that as a group setting where no one feels like they're being put on, where if I say, hey, Leon, yesterday you did a really great job but you made a mistake here, that's not to put you on the spot. That is so that everyone learns from that issue, and I'm I'm talking about, you know, the daily steps. Nothing that would would personalize. If it needed to be a private conversation, I'd have a private conversation. But by having that moment every day where the team connects, you build a, you build a, a broader and stronger connection where people are actually talking about what's going wrong, and most importantly, they're fixing it so that it becomes what we're doing well.
2: Mm-hmm. My name is Leon Thomas. Here with. Dr. Miranda Kitterlin Lynch and our guest today Nick Matone. This is checking in a lodging DEI chat. New episodes drop every Thursday on YouTube and LinkedIn and you can check us out on your favorite podcast platform. If it's not on there yet, it will be soon cuz they're they're slowly they're slowly rolling out. Leon Thomas, Miranda Kitterlin Lynch, again here with with Nick Martone. Nick, uh, one more one more question for me regarding the, the the white male piece mm-hmm. of this 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 puzzle sure. that we're we're dealing with. I, I think that when when we look at uh, corporate uh, websites and we look at corporate leadership, there's still not a lot of women, not a lot of black individuals true. there, right? And you think why 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 is this why why is this not 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 happening Mm -hmm. and i also think that along with in the corporation in the company also the vendor process that we need to look more into that area to make sure Mm -hmm. that the folks that we're doing business with the folks that we're spending money with um are are aware that we would like to do business with companies that are diverse so What are are your thoughts, suggestions on that? And then I'll listen to your answer, then Miranda's has the next one.
3: Certainly, certainly. And those are two extremely important questions. And let me take the first part of that first, not seeing enough um, uh, uh, African-American Black people or women in those leadership positions, particularly in those larger corporations. I think there's a, a, a lot of mistakes we as leaders, owners, operators make, right? When I look for a manager, what's the first thing most people do? I go to my network mm-hmm. and I say, Hey, Joe, Hey, Jane, I need a manager. And this is, you know, the salary, blah, blah, blah. Do you know anyone? And of course, you know, that network will bring people uh, uh, to to be interviewed. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is very often our network are people like us. Uh, and in my case, white men who uh, who were going to recommend another white male because that's uh, mm-hmm. that's our network. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what not. However, you need to force um, the way out of that by reaching out to other people. You mentioned vendors; uh, you know, there are you know, reach out to your vendors to talk very specifically what you're looking for. Reach out to your customers. Reach out to uh, networks that you don't have, your hospitality association, and broaden the outreach in such a way that you're, mm-hmm. you're finding leadership in, in the diverse communities that are out there. Yes. And I'll go one step further. Um, We have employees who are uh, black, Latino, et cetera, Asian, et cetera, et cetera, and and certainly women. And you need to ask them, I need a manager. Do you know anybody? Because by Mm -hmm. stretching your outreach, Mm -hmm. you will find the right person one way or another. And you'll have an opportunity at the very least to interview a wider and more diverse group of candidates. I think that's most important.
2: Nick, put your hand up, high five, (laughs) coming your way. Broaden the network. I I love it.
1: Yeah, I I second that. And I think that, so one of the things that I heard you say at the the summit in Chicago was you don't know what you don't know, right? Correct. And I, I firmly believe that. And I too realized that years ago, I was falling into that same mistake of not making my network intentionally diverse. Correct. Specifically, I was doing a disservice to my students because I would bring in guest speakers all the time, which I thought was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about the fact that I wasn't bringing in guest speakers that represented everybody in the Correct. classroom uh, It, it through no intention whatsoever. But um, fortunately, someone did bring it to my attention. And now I can be intentional about <laughs> who I'm bringing uh, in front of our our students. Um so there's a quote by RBG that says, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let me ask you, is there is there anything that you feel um, discourages you? Uh, is there anything that we, in support of this movement, in support of mm-hmm. moving the needle, are there any mistakes that we're making that would push our allies away? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. I, I think I'd go back to the earlier quote on that and not to harp it too much, but uh, the Julie Harmon quote about normalizing mistakes and having a conversation around intent. And there's different ways to, to spin that. And I would say really, um, I think we need to lower the, the, the vitriol a little bit, um, out, not vitriol, lower the volume a little bit so that we can have a more pleasant conversation and take each individual that we're talking to on the merits of what they're trying to accomplish and the intention that they have as opposed to the mistakes that they've made. I, I really firmly believe that. Um, so I, I'd say to answer your question more fully, um, I as the white male and and people like me, we need to be less defensive so we can listen to understand so I can so I can really take it in what the other person is saying. The person on the other end, I, I, I found myself having conversations or you see it in the news where people will not let the other person's argument even be heard, mm-hmm. right? I'm right, you're wrong. There's nothing, nothing in the middle, and that's not true. That's not mm-hmm. true. So I think on both sides, uh, to answer your question, I think we need to allow for the, the, the vehement discussion, as long as the volume is is appropriate and respectful. And I think what happens at times is we get um, a little bit too heated on both sides of the argument, and then you know someone's like, okay, I'm done. You know, and you know the white male, I'm picking up my toys and going home. I don't need this anymore, right? And on the other side, it's you can't just demonize a person for their mistakes, you know, help them understand what they did wrong so we can go to the next level and have a more fulsome, more honest conversation with a lower heat, lower vitriol, lower volume.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think that's so important. I'm so glad you said that because cancel culture, in my opinion, is not helpful because it doesn't allow for growth. Can Um, I add
3: one more point? I know you want to ask another question, but the question Leon had just asked about how we And I said, broaden the network and so on. There's one other aspect I've tried to coach um, leadership that, you know, anyone who's doing an interview, and this is even more importantly for the HR directors and large corporations. What I've experienced in hotels and large companies specifically, and a lot of independent restaurants is I'm looking for a manager and I say they must, right? You see this all the time, must have five years experience in a similar operation, must have an MBA in business, blah, 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 blah. I take that, crumple it up and throw it away. Um, and, and I can give you innumerable stories, but I'll give you one of my favorites. It happened to be a woman, but this has happened over the years with, with people of different ethnicities. Um, uh, Mary Mraz, and uh, you know she's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people in, on the planet. And the, the resume comes through and the, and the application comes through. This is at Gramercy Tavern, forgive me. We were looking for a, a server. And people looked at her resume and said, wow, she's only worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken in Kansas City. I mean, why would we hire her? But you, you look at the, the resume and you look at the application and you look at the answers that she gave to some of the you know, random questions. She had worked five years here, five years there, put herself through school during that time. So what does that tell me? It tells me that you have someone who's got my core values, someone who is going to stick with the job. I interviewed her. Um, I might, people thought it was not, she has no experience. It doesn't matter. My God, she was one of the best people I've ever hired in my entire life. Went on not only to be a, a, a great uh, uh, server and then a captain for us, she became a manager and then she became an owner operator in her own right. And so what I urge people to do is to stretch their thinking beyond. I need this experience to, I want to find the right, a good person, wherever that may be train them into the job that I want them to do. And if you can't train them into the job, then you really have no business being a manager or a leader in that business. And that I'm I'm adamant about. So I started to confiscate the time, but I wanted to get that point out because I think it's so relevant to the to the question that Leon had asked a moment ago.
1: Absolutely. No, that's time well spent. I think that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and for the record, it's vodka martinis. Always uh, vodka sorry. martinis. <laughs> sorry. <morning>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So I want to ask you something just a little bit off topic, but something that I found to be interesting and admirable. Um, When I looked at your uh, LinkedIn profile, the description that you've provided for yourself, the very first word uh, describing who you are, and now granted, you're very accomplished, you've done a lot of things, but the very first word is dad. What? Tell me about that.
3: So uh, I am truly blessed. Uh, in, in every sense of the word. I have a 29 year old daughter, Alexandra Motone, living in New York. She's my one of my well, of course, she's one of my favorite people. She's my best bud uh, now that she's, uh, you know, of legal drinking age. We go out and have, you know, bourbons together. She happens to like whiskey. Um, my son Nicholas is 16 and uh, we're also best buds. We cook together. We go to the gym together. We you know he's driving now. He drives me around. That's really, really great. The reason I put that first is because I I, I love being a dad. I love having my kids. I love being friends to them. I devote a lot of time to them. That doesn't mean I, uh, you know, I I love going to their basketball, my son's basketball games, my daughter's uh, shows when she was in grammar school and high school and in in the arts. I love hanging out with them. And I think that kind of goes back to the core values, right? I I want to take care of my kids. Then I know my family is safe. By doing that, it allows me to have fun. So if I, you know, spend a lot of time going to my son's basketball games, you know, the one time when I can't be there or I have something else that I want to do, he's not—he's not pissed off at me. He—he he knows I've been there for you know eighty of them in a row, so now I can take the one off. And it also flows into the the business mindset, right? I I think of my employees, I I don't wanna say they're my children because that kind of demeans them. But if I think of it in the same sense that a dad would care for his children and a a mother and a father would care for their children, um, I feel the same way with my employees uh, that I want to to care for them in the truest sense of the word. I wanna help them excel. I wanna help them grow. And so it's really important to me. And I'll give you one other quote that, that 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 I've always loved is I'm a dad when I get to say yes, and I'm a father when I have to say no, oh. and I think it's true in life and business uh, in, in both in both ways. And we sometimes we have to say no, and we have to be the disciplinarian, and that's when I'm the manager of my employees, and other times I'm the you know the greatest boss in the world because I get to say yes. So
1: mm-hmm. that's perfect, Leon. Did you?
2: Nick, this has been a a great conversation. I want to make sure that our viewers and listeners are able to get in touch with you, however. So let's display Nick's LinkedIn profile. And I'll ask our producers to go ahead and scroll with whatever else we have on Nick. Thank you. You guys have been running it through, but I think it's going to be so important for our listeners and viewers to be able to contact Nick. Now, Nick, one of the things you talked about was lowering the volume. Yes and i want to encourage you and everyone to watch another show that we produce at the leon thomas group it's called real thoughts and conversations and on that show we bring I'll folks on that have opposing views but we want to discuss them in a civilized manner and so oh, absolutely the host of the show doesn't pick a side it's ask a question listen listen mm-hmm. let me clarify let me clarify and i think if we were to do that in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in, in our in our meetings, that we could solve a lot of things, or at least move things in the right direction, if we have those those basic listen and understand conversations. But sometimes, as you know, and Miranda, as you know, we just don't do that. It's
1: yeah. all the
2: time, and we've just got to got to stop that. So uh, it was so cool for you to to mention that. Um, Thank you. I think you're, you're right on target. And I
3: think if I use the Abraham Lincoln example, right, who famously had this team of rivals, right? In the interest of getting opposing viewpoints into his cabinet, he had people that ran against him at one point in time, people that didn't believe in what he was doing, people who were racist. I, I'm sorry to say that, you know, I think it was the secretary of, of war at one point, but he needed those other counterpoints so that he could come up with the right decisions at a most crucial point in our country's history. And too many um, senior leaders are afraid to have a contrasting viewpoint. So everyone around them has a similar viewpoint. Uh, you know, the term is yes men, you know, in, in, in many respects, you need someone to contrast that viewpoint. I know I do as, as, a, as a leader, as a manager, because very often I'm learning from the people who are, are giving me a counterbalance and a counterpoint. And not enough people in the world today, in, in business and leadership, um, try that. They have too many voices around them that are are just mirroring back to them what they want to hear or think they want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear. And we all need to hear uh, a counterpoint to our thoughts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We have about three minutes remaining. Roman- Miranda, I'll turn mm-hmm. it over to you for the, the final question.
1: Yeah, I just... I like to ask people this, um, and I'd be, love to know what your answer is. Um, if you could go back, what would you tell your 20-year-old self?
3: Wow. Uh, and it can a,
1: only be one thing.
3: <laughs> no, nope, that, that, it, it's a great question. Um, for me, and this is me personally, I would say focus more uh, because at, at 20 years old, uh, granted, my brothers and I were starting our, our own business, but uh, we were all over the map. Right. You know, find what you're doing really well, burnish what you're doing really well, and then look at what you need to work on and try to find a way to fix it or to learn how to fix it. My 20 year old self was a little bit unfocused, um, a little bit looking to have fun, even though we're having business and supporting a family and all that. So I would say, focus more. That was That's what I would have needed to do. And I think that carries over to everything we said in our conversation as well. And it might've gotten a little bit off, uh, gotten gotten further along earlier in my career.
1: That's good advice. Thank you. Leon?
2: Nick Matone, thank you for being a guest on Checking In a Lodging DEI chat. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for spending some time with us.
3: Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here.
2: Let's bring on our studio host, Oren Stewart. Hey, Oren.
0: Hello, how are you all? It's such an amazing show, yes. Thank you for joining us once again for another great episode of Checking In, a lodging DEI chat with Miranda and Leon. I am your studio host, Oren Stewart. See you next time.